Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, before we start this segment, I have a little bit of a programming note I need to make you aware of. There's going to be a Broncos training camp special on the fan the next two Saturdays, and it's going to start at 9 o'clock. So Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is going to move over to 1600 ESPN, and we're going to be on from 10 to noon for the next two Saturdays. That's 1600 AM ESPN from 10 to noon uh, for the next two Saturdays. You can also listen to 1600 AM online. You can get it through the fan app on the menu or uh, the fan online, fan.com. And uh, we'll podcast everything also in case you miss it. Let's go to the phones. Joining us from Tightline Outdoors is uh, Dustin Sigler. Good morning, Dustin. Good morning, Terry. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. And from talking to you early in the week, so is the fishing. Absolutely. It hasn't slowed down a bit. Uh, You're in your peak uh, summer period right now, which means metabolisms are high and fish are eating. So usually this is a transition period, Dustin, where... In fact, we're kind of behind when we a lot of times we'll see the shad have hatched and the fish have moved offshore or away from structure. And there's always some fish shallow. I don't care what time of the year it is. Some fish just love to stay shallow. But a lot of those fish are transitioning and they're becoming more suspended. And people think they're not biting, but they have to change techniques because the fish are doing something different. After talking to you earlier, that transition has been a little late. It isn't complete. You're kind of seeing both sides. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, as you stated, fish are, um, oh, you're always going to have shallow fish. And, uh, you know, some days are shallower than others. And uh, what we've been seeing recently is uh, some days we'll go out early in the morning and they'll be in that, uh, you know, 10 to 15 foot zone on structure. And then uh, some mornings you go out and they're not there, but they're even shallower than that. So, uh, anywhere from four to eight foot of water. Um, and then when you go from there out to deeper water, um, specifically uh, targeting walleye, you just start to see them suspending over that deep water um, with the hordes of bait. I mean, there's just uh, bait fish everywhere in the system, everywhere that uh, I know has forage base. You know, the spawning is complete, and these fish are moving out of the shallows, starting to ball up and uh, school up, in, as you would say, and uh, – and the walleye are right there in hot pursuit behind them. So, is it um, is it kind of a is it kind of a time of day thing right now? Or do you think it's going to transition even more? Kind of take us through how you approach it on a given day, and then uh, you know how, how much it's probably going to change. Absolutely. Um, early in the in the day, your low light periods, and, and I'm speaking also for later in the day, it's kind of the same. But uh, of course, you're going to have fish pulled up shallower. Um, or on top of structure, first light and last light. Um, and that bite is probably the best bite you're going to have. Um, and, and I'm using blade baits, reaction-style baits. I, I like to fish fast and aggressive. Um, you can still implement bait. Uh, leeches and crawlers will still work. Leeches probably being more dominant, whether it's on a lindy rig or a stand-up jig head uh, fished on this structure. Um, and, and like I said, it, it could be anywhere from um, four foot of water to you know, 12 foot of water, I would say early in the day. And then um, at, at times I've, I've been out guiding and all of a sudden the fish are just gone. I don't see them on any of the structure that I was catching them on early in the morning. 
And so what I'll then do is I'll, I'll start pulling out my crankbaits. And, and of course, the bait forage right now is smaller. So um, I'm using small Salmo hornets, small flicker shads, um, small crankbaits, and I'm pulling them way high in the water column. So I'm not actually um, staying on the structures I was fishing in the morning in that, in that shallower water. I'm actually pulling it over deep water, and I, I, I use planer boards. I put them back you know, anywhere from, honestly, 15 foot behind the board um, all the way back to 55 feet behind a planer board and then just kind of spread lines out. And uh, realistically, it's, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just go, go trolling over deep water for these fish, and you'll, you'll be surprised at what you're going to catch. Well, a couple things come into play there, and one is the fact that because these fish are so shallow, it's very difficult to pick them up on your sonar. You may see the bait balls, but they're going to be uh, very difficult to see, and they move away from your boat as you go over them a little bit typically, and, and so that it's very difficult to see them. So you almost have to fish for them. And the other thing, what you said about putting the bait maybe only 15 feet back and one that doesn't dive very deep, because I can tell you right now from the research I've done that when they're on structure, like the ones you're fishing in the morning, you can fish right at the bottom. But when these fish suspend over deep water following that bait, they will almost never strike down at a lure. Don't you find they almost, you almost always have to have the bait above them? Absolutely. Yeah, we call it feeding up. So their eyes are looking up at food. And you're exactly right when you're talking about your your sonar. You could be driving along and you're not seeing those nice walleye arcs. Um, because honestly speaking, they're just above where your sonar is reading. You're not getting a clear picture. Um, the cone is so small from, you know, the first four feet of water, even if you're in 20 foot. Um, and so you're not picking up those fish that are literally subsurface. Um, they're only, you know, as deep as five feet below the surface. And so targeting those fish, um, when you're not seeing them is, is kind of, uh, kind of an, uh, a different thing, but I will say I had my uh, panoptics live scope on the other day while I was trolling, uh, watching kind of what's going on, where are the fish hanging out, where am I seeing walleye swimming around, and uh, it blew my mind to see it. so many fish uh, literally subsurface, you know, three foot down, so uh, you're absolutely right on that. Yeah, it, it can be. Um, as we transition, do you, do you see this structure bait at low light holding up for a while, or do you see more and more of the fish transitioning to the, the suspended shad? Um, you know, in years past, I think it's going to hold like this all the way till ice up, to be honest with you. We're going to still have fish on structure, and, and honestly, um, and I'm speaking, you know, specifically to uh, shallower bodies of water. When you start talking Chatfield and Aurora and, and deeper bodies of water, then you'll have a little bit uh, of a different thing going on there because you have stratification in the water or, um, you know, you get uh, a, a thermocline developed, which will pull fish in different directions. But um, generally speaking, I'm, I'm, we're always going to have fish on structure um, early, and then you're going to have them um, out suspended under bait. Typically, your big fish are going to go in and out whether they're going to be on uh, bait fish suspended over deep water or they're going to be on sh real shallow structure as shallow as, you know, six to eight foot. Um, and this will just continue to get uh, better and better as, as we get into fall, and you'll use more and more reaction baits and kind of ditch the live bait altogether uh, in the coming weeks, to be honest with you. I'm going to go uh, primarily all hard baits uh, from the, for the rest of the season once we hit August. 
Well, there's so much, so much bait in some of these lakes. The shad are so prolific that trying to compete with them in an eating type situation is almost impossible. But if you can get that reaction, you had a great anomaly. I think it was you that told me it's like when you throw somebody a baseball and not look and they turn around, they have to put their hand up and react, right? Absolutely. That That's exactly what we're trying to do is they, these fish see bait fish every five seconds or something swimming by them, you know, and, and so at the end of the day, you just need to present it uh, as if it is an easy meal for them, you know, put it on the golden platter and say, here, Mr. Walleye, take this. And uh, that's really what's going to do it for you. Um, and uh, I'm just a big com- uh, a component of just using something that's I'm able to fish fast, quickly. I don't want to sit too long and wait for a bite. I want them to come to me or, or me to throw it right in their face and, and make them react to that bait. So um, anything I can fish quickly um, on a piece of structure, move to another one is, is more my technique this time of year for sure. Now, you talked about the shad base lake, like Cherry Creek and Aurora, of course, Pueblo, Boyd Reservoir up here. Even Horsetooth has some shad. What about lakes like Aurora, where shad probably aren't the main population? Is that fishing totally different? Um, it can, for sure. So you have, uh, you know, perch and crayfish out at Aurora. That's kind of your main base of uh, forage. And so you're going to have, they have a ton of weeds out at Aurora Reservoir, so you're going to have a ton of fish real, real shallow in those weeds. You have a bunch of perch minnows that will be in the weeds right now. And then um, you'll you'll definitely have deeper fish out on uh, bigger mud flats where those crayfish like to hang out. And uh, so we see, you know, that lake's always going to be a little bit behind our shallower bodies of water as far as temperature and, and what we're seeing happen as far as uh, turnover and, and water changes. Um, because it's a bigger, deeper, clearer body of water. But I'd say right now uh, your fish in, in Aurora are going to be um, kind of deep and uh, and in and around that thermocline just above it. Uh, you know, you have dissolved oxygen down below, and so uh, that warmer water is going to hold the, the fish up high because it has most of the oxygen. It's where the water's moving. And so, um, again, that's probably going to be in that uh, 25 foot range and shallower that you're going to be wanting to target fish let's switch gears real quick before we run out of time and another bite that you've told me was on fire was the pike bite bait bite up in the mountains yeah anywhere in the mountains that's got pike and, and weeds uh it is it's dynamite right now these pike are feeding heavily metabolism's high um you know i was told that uh pike this time of year are eating you know about three rainbows a day and uh so when you're when you're looking like that these fish are looking to eat um we're fishing uh fairly shallow water for them a lot of people uh, probably overlook weed cover and uh, we're looking for giant weed flats um we've been pulling several master anglers out of uh the high country bodies of water when it comes to pike and using very aggressive tactics um such as buzz baits for a topwater bite uh a big, big jerk baits or anything you can uh, imitate a uh, trout in a sense swimming through there has been very productive. Spinner baits, because uh, you have forage baits that's, uh, you know, young of the year fish. A spinner bait's a great uh, presentation for them as well. But um, fishing weeds and having to pull the weeds off your hook every other cast is uh, can be a, a bit of a challenge, but it's been an absolute uh, absolutely incredible bite, to be honest with you. I think you told me you caught four master angler pike in two trips this last week. Yep, absolutely. And uh, the clients were very happy is, with that. <laughs> how big is a master angler pike? 
Uh, 36 inches is what they classify a master angler right now. Um, and ours were uh, right in that 38 range. So, um, Wait, and fish, what, what? No, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, four fish in that 38-inch range is uh, uh, definitely something to be proud of. It just shows uh, the quality of fishing right now or the quality of the fish at, at these bodies of water right now. And a 38-inch pike in Colorado, it rivals one that's over 40 when you get up in, like, Canada or Minnesota because they're eating these trout, and they get so heavy. They are almost as big around as they are long. Absolutely. They are brutes, and then they're... I mean, the one I, I did put a, a scale on one of our bigger ones that was uh, right at that 38 inch mark, and um, yeah, it's 15 pounds. So, I mean, a, and just a gut on it like you wouldn't believe. So, um, and it, just an incredible bite that they hit harder than any fish that I've ever fished for. Um, fight extremely hard, and uh, this time of year, is, it's a hard to beat going up and, and chasing these fish for sure. Last thing, I want to change gears one more time. I know you're a big fan of uh, Lake McConaughey, which we talk about a lot on this show. They're actually partners to the show. Uh, what have you heard out there? How are the water levels? How's the fishing? Yeah, uh, water levels are definitely dropping. It's uh, an irrigation and a power plant lake, so they're always dropping water level. Um, currently, they're at 66% um, water temps, uh, you know, in the 70s, mid-70s, high-70s. Um, most all of your docks are available as far as Spillway Bay, the, the lower ramp, Divers Bay, Martin Bay, Lemoyne, um, Cedar View. Both both of those are uh, available. Of course, Lake Ogallala, you can go and fish that as well. Both ramps are available. Um, it's fishing good. So a lot of the trees, submerged timber, the fish have moved out to deeper structure, whether that's a, you know your channel edge or, or river edges. Um, around submerged timber. And so a lot of the guys I know out there are pulling spinner baits and they're smacking them on top of the tree. They're using lead core line, getting those baits down to those trees. And uh, that's been very creating a lot of success. Here in the coming uh, about three weeks or so, two to three weeks, um, they're going to have a head-to-head fishing competition out there. I'm sure a lot of walleye anglers are familiar with that. And uh, that should be a great event to watch and, and look out for just to uh, learn that body of water, watch some pros fish it. But uh, we should see slabbing spoons and, and spinner baits and crankbaits really start to be the main focus out there. All right. Lots of great information, Dustin. If people want to get a hold of tight lines, either for a trip or for more information, how do they do it? Yeah, you can go on our Facebook page, Tightline Outdoors, um, tightlineoutdoors.com. Find us on there as well. Uh, give us a phone call. We'd love to get you out on the water, whether it's pike fishing, walleye fishing, or anything that uh, you guys want in between there. All right, my fr- Thank you. Lots of great information. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Terry. You bet. Dustin Sigler from Tightline Outdoors. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, our dog expert, Ben Garcia, is going to join us. And we have been um, experiencing a lot of dog rescues this year. We're going to help you try to avoid that happening to your dog. And Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Robert Zimmerman from Hibbing High School. I remember him well. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan, presented in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Any of your outdoor needs, Jack's can handle it. Let's go to the phones. And joining us, our dog training expert, uh, Ben Garcia from Hideaway Kennels. <laughs> you, know, you know what, Ben? We've had... Uh, we have so many new outdoor enthusiasts are getting out hiking and camping and they're, they're doing things either they hadn't done for years 
or they're getting back or they're going for the first time. And during COVID, a lot of them went out and got dogs, keeping company too. So we've got a lot of people venturing into the outdoors, taking their new companion with them. And unfortunately, we've had to have a record number search and rescue of dogs rescued. People don't think about that. But, you know, that that dog who loves you will follow you to exhaustion or through injury. And then he's, if it's a big dog, you can't get him back down the mountain. What What should people be doing? Yeah, so, I mean, it was a record year for definitely people being outside and, and the rescues and, and, and some deaths of people in the wilderness where they found the dogs, you know, a couple of days later because the human or the dog, you know. So I there's some products I really want to talk about that I think are great to have in, in your inventory of gear when you go. Because like you said, it, it's our responsibility to get those dogs up and down off the mountain when you're out hiking. So so let's before we get to the products, let's talk yeah. a little bit about it. I think the one of the things I see in all aspects of the outdoors right now is people don't understand their own capabilities and probably certainly not their dog's capabilities. Right. And if you, you know, like we use GPSs on our dogs and you can track the data of how much steps they took or how much distance they went. And, um, you know, for the basic math of what we figured out is for every mile you go, the dog does four. You know, so if you're doing a 10-mile hike, I mean, it's easy to do the math of how much energy that dog's putting into the hike if they're not on a leash and they're out running around and having a good time. So it's definitely something to evaluate of how much stress is involved in a dog just going on a hike from hydrating to muscle stress to everything else that they go through on a hike. Well, and some of the terrain they go over has to be difficult on their paws and things, too, I would think. It does, and joints and ankles and knees and everything else involved in their bodies, for sure. Is there kind of a rule of thumb with dogs that you kind of, when you're planning a hike, or that you understand, like when you're going out, do you your dogs are well-trained, they're kept in shape. Yeah. Do you have a rule of thumb about how much you can take them, how much energy you really want to let them burn? Well, I, I think it's like we always talk about it. It's not a matter of how much you burn that day. It's the preparation you did to get ready for that. You know, I mean, if you have a cat's potato dog that spends most of the time sleeping around the house, I, you know, I don't think a five-mile hike is a smart idea at 9,000 feet, you know, or 10,000 feet. You know, I mean, if you're doing a, a hike down in town around a park, that's one thing. But it's really more of you've done your work, you've done some hikes with your dogs, you, you know, the physical limitation of your dog also. Yeah, it really is. And, you know, and I think the one thing, and now I want to talk, have you talk about some of the things you can do in products, is right. dogs are so loyal. Once you develop that bond, oh, yeah. that dog that dog will walk itself to exhaustion or through injury to try to keep up with you. It'll go until it drops virtually, won't it? But they will, and unfortunately they can't let us know when they've had too much. You know what I mean? By the time, as a handler, we see it, it's, it's probably – something negative's already happened, you know, or something's already affecting them that we, we got to start putting a plan together on. So again, it's back to that preparation and walking. It's, it's, it's good for us to get out. It's good for the dogs to get out and, and do it in balance with each other for sure. Yeah. I mean, work up to it, go for walks, take your dog for regular daily walks, get longer walks in, maybe start going to altitude, but now I'm ready to do these hikes. You said there's a bunch of products that can help me. Tell me about them. Yeah, just a handful. I mean, I think the main thing, um, you know, that we have, these are all products we've used. These are all products we've tried, we've tested, and um, and I like them. But the main thing on all these products I'm going to talk to you about is is get to know them before you get up there. I mean, it's it, you never want to be the guy that's never shot his gun on a hunting trip, right? 
And it's the same thing with these is you want to make sure you know these products, you know how to use them, and the dogs are familiar with them. So, so that being said, I'll start dry, dropping right into them. Um, the first one I think we all should have, no matter what we're doing, is a good first aid kit made for a dog. You know, I mean, it's one thing to have a human first aid kit. It's another to have an animal first aid kit uh, or especially a canine one. And we have, we have a really good friend who owns this company, and um, he, he's a military dog handler. This guy has done deployments all around the world with dogs, and he created this great company called Dustoff Canine. And, um, and it, it's, his webpage is dustoffcanine.com. It's a great emergency first aid kit for dogs that, to get you out of a jam. If something happens, you, you've got the tools to help your dog tell search and rescue gets there, or you can get the dog down. But that's another one, like Brady will tell you, who owns the company, like get to know the first aid kit, um, get to know what's in there. Brady does, who owns that company, does some classes where you can take with him on how to use the first aid kits, how to help out your knowledge of how to use it. And I think that's a great first company to look at. Um, the next one, which is this great product that's come out the last couple of years, um, it's called Fido Protection, and their webpage is phytoprotection.com. And they actually make a harness that if your dog broke a leg, if your dog injured a shoulder, you can harness the dog, put on a backpack, backpack the dog on yourself, and hike them out yourself. And um, but that is one where you've got to be practicing, Terry. You've got to have know how to use it, have the dog be comfortable in it, even if they're not injured, um, to help get them down. And um, that's a great product. That's one definitely that can fit in a backpack. All these are small things you can use um, to have with you when you're out hiking. The next one we started really getting into the last couple of years, just due to we had some eye injuries out hunting with dogs. Um, are these they're, they're dog goggles and. Um, they take a little bit of practice to get your dog used to them, but um, RexSpecs.com is the company that we recommend on that one, and it's great. I mean, a stick to the eye if you're up hiking. You know, like you said, the dogs are going to go through anything they can to have fun with you. If they get a stick in the eye and you're up there, that that can be a problem also. You know, there's there's a lot of things that can go wrong with that. Um, the second one, you the, the fourth one, excuse me, you talked about that's so important is their feet that we don't even think about. I mean, we've got these hiking boots on. We've got these tools to protect our feet, and we don't do anything to protect our dog's feet. And and the one we like is, is a company called Grip Tech's Dog Boots. And and Dogs Unlimited sells them. Some other companies here in Colorado sell them. But the one I like has a vibrant sole in it, so it actually has a steel shank in there for the dogs. So then if, if they're walking on rocks, they can grip on, but it also adds protection in there. So the ankle's not taking all the support on there. And, and those are just some products I really think that are just handful to have with you when you're up in the wilderness. Um, the other one, I mean, you always talk about it, is diet and supplements. You know, I mean, as far as that you're feeding a food that's for active dogs, if you're active, if, if it's in balance and um, with your activity. And, and we do supplements. You know, we've talked about this a little bit, Terry, before. Um, we use a company called Alpha Nutrition. Um, it's, a, it's a company designed, um, supplements designed for dogs that hunt and hike and, and they're busy. And, um, and we've used them now for almost a year and just had a lot of luck with those products too. But these are all products we've used. We really think they're up to high, high standard. That, that we would um, recommend anybody use that's going up on a hike. Um, when What's the indicator that you should be putting boots on your dog? I mean, obviously, if you're just yeah. going a couple of blocks around the block, you're not going to bother because you want to keep their, their pads right. tough also. You don't want right. to. Yeah, not, exactly. So what, 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 when do you decide? So it, it, there's, there's, three, there's a couple of train of thoughts in this. One is um, 
you know, if you're going to be on heavy rocks, if you're going to be in, in stickers, like, you know, if you go to Kansas or Nebraska to hunt or the Dakotas, you're going to be into goat heads. You're going to be into thorns. That's a good time to use it. Um, you know, that I recommend it. A lot of people got into boots this last year um, being out in snow because the snow will bundle up and ball up in the dog's paws if they have fur in their paws. So that's definitely one is the snow is also. So it's not just summer, it's winter activities too. I mean, in this state, we have a ton of people that snowshoe, hike, cross-country ski. So those are any of those. I, I mean, I would recommend the boots to anybody. But, again, you, you got to do your homework ahead of time. You just don't get them out of the bag and throw them on them when you're at the trail. I mean, they're they're going to wobble around. They're going to try to buck them off. It, it's it's kind of funny to watch at first, but it kind of, you know, as they get used to them, they'll settle in. But um, the thing with the dog boots I always recommend, Terry, is buy a backup pair. So if you don't want to be out on a hike and have your dog lose one, and, and then all of a sudden you got a three-legged booted dog, you know. So I always buy a double set of those dog boots if I'm going to do it. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of people are just hunt their dogs or hike with them all the time with boots on and just got the, dog, the dogs used to it just to be safe. I mean, it, one is if it protects a broken nail or a red pad, um, if you're on a four-day hunt, that can make a difference. Last question, how do, how do I know yeah. how much hydration the dog needs? Yeah, um, I, I think that goes back, and we kind of talked about that a couple times ago we talked, but the main thing is, they, you know, I mean, they don't sweat, they pant. So um, you obviously don't want to overwater them, but you want to water them. Um, if it's a steep incline, I would say every time you stop to take a break, you water your dog before you water yourself, you know, and um, if they're really hunting hard, make sure they have water. Um, we use um, little dog bowls you can fill up you know, and put down for the dogs. Some dogs won't drink out of those. We we train our dogs to drink out of a camel pack just so when we're going to drink, they can get a drink. And, and how you do that, just as a tip for everybody, is you literally just open their mouth and put it in the corner of their mouth and squirt it there, and they have to swallow if, if you put the water in the, the corner cheek of them. Um, if you just spray it at their face, they're going to run away. But that's, again, something you work on around the house, something you work on on a walk around the neighborhood. So when you get out there, it's, it's not too late and then and you're fighting them to try to get them to drink. And um, so I, I, you know, I wouldn't over water or hydrate my dog, but I definitely would keep a monitor of it. If there's not water around, we're blessed here. Most of the mountain trails that we can hike on have water along the way or creeks and um, they can get in there and get a drink anytime they can. With it. All right. We are, when we're out of time, here. Ben. Yeah. We, we're yeah. out of time, Ben, but if people want to find you, how do they find out if they want more information or to find out about your services? Yeah, for sure. And, and they can find us on Facebook um, at Hideaway Kennels, or they can find our webpage at HideawayKennels.com. And, um, and again, if, if somebody wants to message me on any of the products we talked about, I can send them the, the email link or the, the, the webpage link and get them that product info for sure. All right, my friend, great information. Thank you for joining us as always. Thank you so much for having me, Terry. Have a great rest of your weekend. You bet. That's Ben Garcia from um, Hideaway Kennels. Just a great resource for us on dogs. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. They can take care of anything you do outdoors, kayaking, fishing, hiking, even grilling. Stop by one of the stores near you. Let's go to the phones. And joining us is somebody who I normally would say is one of our favorite contributors, uh, J.R. Pierce from uh, Colorado Clays. Good morning, J.R. Thank you for that, Terry, and good morning to you. Well, I have a bone to pick with you, though. Okay, like let's a week, a, a, a week or two ago, you sent me this text, and you said, let's go fishing. And I said, okay, let me know when. 
And then this week you sent me pictures with you holding two giant wipers that you caught on Bar Lake. Uh, Terry, I, you know what I, I have there is I got really big thumbs, and I think I misdialed. So, yeah, my my bad. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. You did well, though, my friend. A nice fish, and I heard you caught a bunch of walleyes, too. Yeah, I actually had a really good day, Terry. Uh, the lipless crank bite was on, and, uh, man, what, what a great day. Yeah, people think because Barr went through a problem a, a while back here, though, there's plenty of good fish in there, isn't there? Yeah, they carried over, Terry. The, you know, I actually uh, ran into Parks and Wildlife out there. They were doing some sampling, and it does appear that with the exception of maybe the trout, everything carried over. So, uh, yeah, still got a few fish in there. Loving it. All right. Let's talk about shooting, though. Uh, a couple things are coming up real quick. First is muzzle loaders. Um, muzzle loaders are going to be faced this year with can I get the load in the ammunition I've previously shot. So muzzle loaders need to be out finding bullets, finding their shot, deciding how they're going to approach this year. But that also means you need to get in more practice. Colorado Clays is a muzzle muzzle loader friendly site. Absolutely, Terry. And, you know, so, of course, the, the Colorado Clays rifle and pistol facility is an NRA-approved state-of-the-art shooting range, you know, we feature a multitude of options and accessories designed to accommodate everyone from the first-time rifle or pistol owner to recreational shooters, hunters, concealed carry practice sessions and classes, law enforcement, military, competitive shooters, you name it, and much more. And with that target return systems, uh, video viewing on rifle, 50 and 100-yard target options, radiant heat, padded stalls, various rests, adjustable stools, and much more uh, uh, of the finest things you need for sighting in a gun. You know, it truly has something to offer any firearms enthusiast, but when it comes to muzzle loaders specifically, it is the open-air design of this building that makes it so conducive to shooting muzzle loaders. And what that means is that the shooting benches and stalls are in a covered, contained, and monitored area, but downrange is open air with natural light and airflow. So the smoke interference normally associated with muzzle loaders and shooting ranges is really not a factor here at Colorado Clays. And then, of course, you couple with that, that with the fact that Colorado Clays has that 50-yard target which most muzzleloaders really need uh, to get on paper before they start, start signing in at longer ranges. Uh, of course, having the best staff in the industry, many of which have muzzleloaders of their own, definitely helps uh, having somebody that knows what they're doing. And, you know, Terry, our staff even put together a $10 sight-in kit that has primers, patches, and 50 caliber bullets. So you can get that gun on paper before you start burning up your hunting project projectiles, which, like you say, there's such a shortage of nowadays. Uh, so there's really truly no better place to sight in your muzzleloader than here at Colorado Clays. Well, and also the fact you can shoot from multiple positions at Colorado Clays. Yes, yeah, so I think that's depending on so important. You know, it's it's uh, uh, paramount, Terry. Uh, and like I say, with our removable benches, uh, we can do prone. We can do bench. Uh, we can do standing with sticks. So any position you may encounter in the field, you can literally practice here at Colorado Clays. And um, like I say, we've talked about this many times, but 
your point of aim, port of, point of impact um, dynamic does change with position depending on how your gun fits you. So uh, if you suspect you may be encountering a prone shooting situation, definitely practice a couple shots there and make sure you're on. Yeah, I wouldn't without question. And, you know, muzzle loading season, to be honest, quicker than ever. People need to get out there. Another one, one that's coming up, it'll be honest, before we know it, one of my all-time favorites is called How to Waste Ammunition in a Hurry, Dove Hunting. Exactly. And you're right, Terry. And, you know, with Dove right around the corner, all of the things that Colorado Clays offers Colorado shoot, shotgun shooters year-round can really benefit the outdoorsmen and women when opening day arrives. And by that, I mean uh, one of the first things anyone should do is pattern that gun. In our shotgun pattern area, 20 to 50 yards, it makes sure that your point of aim and point of impact match. Uh, Also, selecting chokes to uh, have the right pattern size and pattern density um, for the hunting situation you expect to run into. So getting that gun patterned, um, making sure it's hitting where you're pointing is uh, the first thing you need to do. Of course, a lot of people, and I hear, I've been talking to many of them, Terry said they're taking the kids out for their first hunt or the beginners or maybe, maybe other family members. So after we get that gun patterned, our training trap is the perfect next step. And even if you've been working on a gun, getting it fit, uh, there's something to be said for going out on that nice straightaway target, breaking some targets. And then, of course, having trap fields, seven of them, uh, they're a great next step from that training trap. And they're really good for working on consistency of your fundamentals and just general practice. But the trap fields are a good next step. Uh, of course, having two skeet fields with the wobble trap overlay, uh, we can simulate some of the tougher, close, fast shots you may encounter if you're hunting over a water hole or something like that. Uh, skeet field and wobble trap, just a multitude of presentations there. And then, of course, the ultimate practice is the Colorado Clays 15 Station Sporting Clays course. And uh, the reason for that, Terry, it's just got such a huge variety of target presentations, um, different uh, directions, speeds, angles, you name it, you're going to encounter them in our Sporting Clays. And I think we've said this many times, but it's still true that that dove and a clay target have a very similar uh, size for practicing on. And actually, you'd be using the same ammo, so the Sporting Clays course is a great place to get ready for dove season. And then finally, Terry, I think once again, I really want to know where you're going to go hunting because I know those birds flock to areas they feel safe, and I w- wouldn't mind getting a little bit of that action. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> well, I, I was thinking I'm going to go to the patterning board, and I need a pattern that at about 30 yards is about six feet wide and very dense. <laughs> right. I'll, uh, I'll draw a piece of barbed wire across it for you. How's that? Either that or an anti-aircraft gun maybe I need. I <laughs> you know, all, all, all kidding aside, doves can be one of the best starting hunts. Um, you can shoot them in the walk-in access areas. They're readily available. Even Bar Lake allows some dove hunting. It's from fixed positions there, so you got to wait for them to come in. But doves are, you know, an, uh, a great bird, you know, to start out with. And, a, and family, and out at Colorado Clays, you always, always preach family activities and safe shooting. So it's a great way to get started uh, with the dove hunting. It just really can, uh, it can get you started and having a lot of fun. The one thing I do want to mention, uh, I've been checking with the outdoor retailers, and the ammo you would shoot for doves and for clays 
is really running low. Now, if people have some for hunting, but they want to come and practice, do you have ammo for the range? Yep, uh, Terry, we're still stocking the popular calibers and gauges of ammo, and uh, it is for use at Colorado Clays by Colorado Clays customers here at the range. But, yeah, definitely come out uh, if you're having trouble finding that ammo. The ammo you need for your session is available here at Colorado Clays. Now, how do they find you, my friend? Well, give us a call, 303 303- Six five nine seven one one seven, or go to our website coloradoclays.com uh, take the virtual tour check us out but either way uh, give us a shout ask any questions you have and we really look forward to seeing everyone all right and i'll text you my phone number so i don't miss the next fishing trip <laughs> done deal terry <laughs> all right thank you jr we'll talk to you soon all right thanks but JR from Colorado, great people. I mean, we banter back and forth, but they're just going to treat you right. It's a tremendous facility. We're going to take a time out. When we come back, um, I got some things I want to wrap up, some things to catch up on, and uh, I have a bone to pick with Mr. Dan Jacobs, too. So we got a lot coming up on Terry Wicks from Outdoors, presented by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wicks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. You know, a couple things I want to catch up on. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing, with Terry Wickstrom. Uh, A lot of the stuff we talked about, the pond fishing, uh, some of the bass fishing there, and and the drop shotting, we have uh, posts on those on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Also, you can keep track of the show. Sometimes we get moved around. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. And uh, a lot going on. Also, on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom, there are a lot of uh, a lot of videos about the exact, not only the exact fishing, but the exact locations we talk about right here on this show every Saturday. So you can go right to those spots. That's The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. One of the best ways to get there is go to Facebook. Follow us on Facebook. Now, um, Facebook... It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. We're going to post post videos. We're going to um, we're going to post upcoming changes on the show. We're going to post. If you were listening to the dog training segment, I will get that dog training segment up uh, this weekend. We talked about taking your dog hunting with our training expert Ben Garcia and how to keep your dog from getting injured. There's been a record number of dogs injured on the, uh, and having to be rescued and carried down the mountain by search and rescue. I want to show you how to avoid that and make sure your dog is being treated properly. We did a whole segment on that. I will post it on Facebook sometime this weekend on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on Facebook. Now, I understand Dan Jacobs isn't in the studio yet. Is that right, Kyle? That's right. Yeah, he's goofing off. You know why he's not here, Kyle? You know why he's not here yet? Why is he not here? Because he knows I'm mad at him because the next two Saturdays, now I understand we got Broncos training camp coming up the next two Saturdays, and I'm more than happy to be a team player and move the show over to 1600 ESPN so we can cover Broncos training camp, and people should know that. The next two Saturdays, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors will be on ESPN 1600 uh, from 10 to noon both Saturdays. And if you can't get 1600, you can listen online, go to the fan app and go to the um, the menu and there's a link there or go to the 
uh, 1043thefan.com, and there's a link there to listen online. But then I didn't mind moving, Kyle. But How then dare I they saw, bump you, Terry, by the way? How dare they oh, bump oh, you? Oh, he's there now. How and, dare and they? I don't, mind, I don't mind moving because of a Broncos special. It's a Broncos town. I'm a big fan. Dan, you and I talk, talk football almost every week. But then I saw I wasn't only moving just because it was a Broncos training camp special. It was Dan Jacobs from 9 to 12 taking my spot both those Saturdays. Oh, really? I was a little, I I was a little crushed. <laughs> I was a little crushed. Yeah, I was a little crushed that I was, you know, that you would bump me over to the other station. Well, such is life, I guess. Thank you for letting me know, by the way. I wasn't aware of that. But, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm a better bowler than you now. You were once my coach. Now I can out-bowl you. Now soon I'll be a better fisherman than you, probably. I don't know what's going on. Oh, you know. I would love, if I was still bowling, I would love to take you up on that better bowler. Let's see, the last time I bowled leagues, I averaged 212. What's your average? We went bowling over at Boondocks uh, a couple weeks ago, and I had two strikes in one game. That was pretty impressive for me. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm really, yeah. Okay. You're shaking let's in your talk. boots. You're quaking. Yeah. yeah, let's talk something serious right now. Yes. I have a question. I'm going to steal some of your time since you were so late getting in today. Go ahead. Yes. Um, we got this quarterback controversy, and I think personally they need to name a starter going into the third preseason game. I don't think they Why? will, but I think they need to. And then I think if there isn't a clear-cut winner, which I don't think there's going to be, this is going to be a yo-yo going back and forth. And once you bench one of them, can you go back to it? This could really be a fiasco. Well, the whole season is going to be a fiasco. They're not a good team. They won five games last year. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be you know an up and down season no matter what so why not keep the drama going Terry it's like uh, hey by the way I had a quick question were you guys talking about catching carp earlier about in the what show? were you guys talking about catching carp earlier in the show oh yeah they're fun to catch but you don't eat them right that you can't eat them we release them but oh, okay. boy I tell you what they, they will pull your string although in Europe they're the number one game fish and they eat them over there I thought they were gross. No, I mean, everything can be prepared to do well. Even you have been managed to somehow be a radio host. So oh, sure, you hey, can take, look at this guy. You can guy. take the worst material. <laughs> <laughs> hey, right, hey, hey it was, it's all coaching, Terry. That's all I can say. <laughs> well, that apparently didn't help your bowling. Anyway, <laughs> I'll let you go. I'll close this out. Thanks, Coach. All right. Um, we're going to close out Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Remember, the next we're usually on 9 to 11 on the fan every Saturday. Follow us. The next two weeks, we're going to be from 10 to noon over on 1600 ESPN AM. And you can still listen online, and we will podcast everything if you miss it. Uh, follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Go to our YouTube channel, Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We will talk to you next week from 1600 ESPN at 10 to 12, and weeks after that on 104.3 The Fan. Summer.